0: Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast series. This travel series episode, this special travel series episode, is titled "Springtime Tarpon in the Keys," and we're going to be featuring Captain Max Gaspani, does backwater fishing charters out of Almarada. And we're going to be talking about when, the where, locating tarpon, baits and techniques, and what to do when you hook one, all designed to either encourage you to go visit Al your own, or of, course, or of course, book Max Gaspany for a tarpon trip in this travel series episode. My name is Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post, and Fisherman's Post has been serving the saltwater fishing community of North Carolina since 2003. We've been bringing you fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools, and now in our latest and greatest effort, the Fisherman's Post podcast series, where we reach out to our captain and guide friends up and down the North Carolina coast, in this case, who used to be up and down the North Carolina coast, and ask them to share with us their 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 knowledge, their insights on how to catch more fish more often. And in this pursuit and in this goal, I am joined, just as I am in every episode, by Billy Thorpe, of Thorpe Creative. Billy, welcome to a special feature, a travel series special episode.
1: Hey, what's up, Gary? I'm man, I'm excited. One, I'm excited to talk about tarpon fishing. I'm excited to talk about traveling. I'm excited to talk about all those fun things. So I'm excited. And I'm excited to meet Max. I've heard so many great things about him. Old crew at the Fisherman's Post. So it's an exciting to show.
0: Yes, for for many, Max is still synonymous with Fisherman's Post. I mean you know, we go way, way, way back. So I agree. For me, it's a treat to talk to an old friend, talk to him about his new gig. And it's not even new. He's been down there for a while. And Almirada and Tarpon are exciting. And yeah, man, I hope people watch, listen to this episode and think, man, I'm going to take my boat down and try it. Or they say, hey, man, it'd be easier if I just call Max and let him show me on the water what he's talking about here in the podcast.
1: Absolutely, man. It's going to be good. Get out your pens, and paper. I'm going to have mine out for sure. Cause I got some stuff. Up. We'll get to, but uh, all right, Gary. Well, I'm gonna jump right into sponsorships. Uh, Marine Warehouse Center proud to announce that they have joined us again for 2022. So really love those guys. Appreciate them. Uh, but got a little word from them. We'll be right back. The Marine Warehouse. We have everything. We have new boats. We have parts. We have accessories. New trailers. We have a complete service department with highly trained technicians. Anything you need to get out on the water, we have. At Marine Warehouse Center, as we've grown over the last few years, now have a large section of marine supplies from start to finish for all your boating needs. What I love about this region is to be able to get out on the water, and also we love to be able to get you out on the water. The best part of working at Marine Warehouse is being able to get involved with the customers and share a love for the water. Right, there it is, Gary.
0: Yeah, man, they're good dudes they're in a bitter joke battle. So to let oh. you know here in 2022 the joke battle between Emmett and <laughs> between <laughs> Emmett and Terrell continues. Each one is trying to outdo the other. Um because Terrell is the longest running joke teller, I let him start out the 2022. You know, they were sitting there bickering back and forth about who's going to start All and right. I said, "Hey, break it up. I'm making this call. Terrell, it's your it's your week. What do you got?" And so here is Terrell's joke, not mine, to be clear. Terrell's joke, not mine. And <laughs> right. and also in 2022 we're looking at boat jokes, we're not looking at fish jokes. So th- this is oh, a boat okay. joke from Terrell. What causes some boats to become party boats?
1: I put something on I No idea.
0: Um peer pressure and you know you spell peer like a peer. <laughs>
1: Did he spell it right when he sent you the email?
0: I don't know. I just assumed that's what he was going for. I spelled it, I spelled it right in my notes. I don't know if Terrell can spell. I don't know that. Well, I'm going to assume he does because right. he runs a very successful business on many levels. So I'm going to assume that he can spell the correct peer for the peer pressure joke.
1: All right, man. I guess Terrell signed up for it for 2022. Bad jokes. All right. Thanks, Terrell. Yeah,
0: he said he had had 26 jokes to tell. We're in for another year. Him and Emmett going back and forth. 26 versus 26.
1: All right. Well, I'm excited. I'm excited. I really am excited. And I'm also excited, Gary, because we've been promoting another sponsor, which is Bland Landscaping Company. Uh, You can go to blandlandscaping.com slash careers. If you're looking for a new career, it's a new year. Maybe you want a new career. You want to work outside. You want to go in early, get off early. they got tons of benefits to working for their company. So go check out their website, blandlandscaping.com slash careers, and see if they get a good uh, career for you. Not just a job, but actually like a real career. They had a legit company looking for legit people to come be a part of their business and help them grow. So excited to have that That's the part I
0: like to focus on, man. Career, not job. Beginning of a new year, we make changes. We make fresh starts. And maybe you're in a job and you want to be in a career, bland landscaping. Love love the concept.
1: Exactly, man. Well, Gary, I'm excited about fishing. I'm excited about this episode. And I'm excited to show you a fish photo. we got one Sweet. right here. This is Robert Creech of Southport caught and released this 51.5-pound red drum on a 12-inch mullet while fishing in a Pamlico Sound. Now, Hmm. I don't know if that's 50, <laughs> 51.5 pounds or not, but you know what? Cool. I like it. I don't know how he weighed it, but hey.
0: Uh, I'm not sure either, but I'm not going to call Mr. Creech a liar or even an embellisher. I'm just going to say, yes, sir, Mr. Creech. I believe that fish weighed 51.5 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good-looking fish. Just like, I, just like I believe it was a 12-inch mullet. Just like I believe it was a 12 12- a twelve-inch mullet, not twelve point five, but twelve-inch even.
1: Twelve-inch even, <laughs> right there. <laughs> Man,
0: Mister Creech doesn't deserve that from us. He's probably a very nice guy. He looks like a nice guy.
1: Yeah, he's not. He's nice. He's probably been fishing way more than both of us, Gary, and probably just can hold it and say. He 51. just eyeballed 51. that 5. fish
0: instead of fifty-one point five. Put it back in the water. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's what I do. Fifty-one. I hope 51. he comments. Yeah. I hope he, I hope he watches
0: this podcast. I hope he comments. Um, Hey, man, before I go to Billy's best takeaway, though, I would love for you to do some self-promotion for us.
1: Yeah, man. Absolutely. Well, just wanted to let everybody know we're still doing Buy Me a Coffee, so you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash Fisherman's Post if you want to support Gary and I. Look, Gary's yawning. It's late. He's tired when we're recording this. I itched my nose. He needs coffee. Like, whatever, Gary. Just go I do. Okay? I'm trying to get you some right. coffee here. So go to, go to buymeacoffee.com slash Fisherman's Post if you want to support Gary and I as creators. And then also, if you want to sponsor the podcast, if you have a really good fit, uh, for the fishing industry, business, if you're serving, product, whatever that looks like, and you want to see what that that relationship would look like with us, then send me an email, billy at fisherman's com, and we'll get you some info. So, yeah, Gary, I think it's all, all the right. promotion I got.
0: That's good. That's good stuff. And I want you to focus on Max, what he's telling us. I mean, tarpon is certainly of interest to you, mm-hmm. and I'm going to come back to you for Billy's best takeaway.
1: Sounds good, Gary. See you on the other side, man.
0: Right on. So right now, it is my pleasure, my great pleasure, to welcome to the podcast Captain Max Gaspany, Backwater Fishing Charters out of Almarada, ex-everything man at Fisherman's Post. Max, so good to be talking to you. Man, uh, so here we are. We're going to talk about springtime tarpon in the keys. But as is the tradition on the Fisherman's Post podcast, I got two questions for you before we can begin. You tell me when you're ready, and I'll give you question number one. Fire why should we listen to anything you have to say about a tarpon
2: well uh honestly don't that's cool we don't need more competition um but (laughs) if uh if you do listen you'll be getting the info from somebody who's been down here six years now fishing easy 250 days a year two-thirds of my trips are probably tarpon trips consistent tarpon producer in a super high pressure fishery um, which is definitely one of the big themes down here. Uh, so maybe that justifies it, maybe not. Let's see.
0: I think it justifies. I'm, I'm excited to carry on. It's an acceptable answer for me. And so that brings me to question number two. And as is the tradition, it is a non-fishing-related question, perhaps my attempt at some levity. Are you ready for question nice. number
2: two? I couldn't be ready here.
0: Well, I actually have three questions for you. I'm going to these are comparison. These are I'm going to ask you first. Which which of these is more safe? Which of these is more safe? Riding a bike in downtown Wilmington or picking up one of the owners of soapbox like a baby?
2: It's a tie in my experience.
0: <laughs> I expected that They're answer. I believe that is surgery. a tie. They're okay, question number <laughs> They are. The second part, which which was the better Max Gaspany decision? Buying a house in Wilmington or getting that Clash tattoo? Well,
2: if I had a Clash tattoo, <laughs> uh, it would be the Clash tattoo. It is, in fact, a tattoo uh, for the <laughs> Specials and their record label, Two-Tone Records. This Clash will never, in fact, a part of. But, uh... <laughs> Definitely the tattoo, buying a house in Wilmington is one of the worst decisions I've ever made. I should add (laughs) the asterisk that I did it in August, 2008, uh, within three weeks of the collapse of all housing markets. So I don't think it worked out as poorly for most people as me.
0: I don't think it did either. I mean, and then my last of my third part question, which is a better story to tell? Joshua the mud monster or roommate flipping the truck allegedly?
2: Uh, they're both winners. Um, the mud monster is more confirmable.
0: <laughs> and I think the mud monster is better when big old Joshua tells it, but let's get to fishing. Sure. man. Yeah. So we are talking about need- springtime tarpon in the keys, your Almarada and in your notes, we're going to talk about when, I mean, I know we have springtime in the notes, but what else you got for me under the category of, of when we're talking about?
2: So really, we're talking about the tarpon migration. We've got some tarpon around here year-round. Um, if you're willing to really adjust your fishing methods and times in particular to when they're feeding, you can target them year-round. Uh, but we start to see a huge push of fish that migrates out of the Gulf of Mexico and through the Keys out to the Atlantic in in the springtime. But I'm starting to see increasing numbers of fish in February for sure, uh, particularly if it's been warm and it seems like most of our last few winters have. Uh, so I really start thinking about them in February, maybe two solid weeks of warm weather in February. I'm starting to think about them and I'm doing a, a as long as, you know, as long as we haven't had a lot of cold fronts, I'm doing a pretty consistent tarp and fishing and charters in March. Um, And I like the early season can be really good, too, because the fish haven't seen as much pressure as they have later uh, come April and May, which are what most people think of as the peak of tarpon season here. And they certainly are the peak of the numbers of fish.
0: And then that migration lasts how long? Like, again, aside from the year round residents, the migration tends to taper off when?
2: I'd say June. Um, I think, you know, most people would say June. June. we're still tarpon fishing pretty heavy in the summer, but it's kind of fish that settle in and uh hang out um mostly in the backcountry, not around the islands, which is where we do most of our spring migratory fish fishing. So I'd say March to June. March to end of June is probably your peak of the migration, majority of the migration.
0: So next in the notes is where these fish are. I can have Billy bring up Google Earth, or you can just sort of talk to us about where these fish are.
2: Uh, Yeah, if I can just send Billy some pins to drop on all my best spots, um, (laughs) that would simplify the process for everybody involved, I think. Uh, But absent that technology, uh, it's where is less, it's more... uh, more, the bass fishman would call it a pattern, not a, not a spot. Um, you're looking for the same kinds of things. Uh, basically the channels that move through the keys are what the tarpon are gonna get funneled into, funneled through. And those are the channels that pass under the bridges. Everybody thinks of our spring fishing as bridge fishing. It's not necessarily fishing directly at the bridge, although we do plenty of it. Um, a lot of fishing just around the bends, kinks, and uh, shoals in the channels, points in the channels, but I would say the channels all throughout the Keys. I'm fishing the Isla Morata area, so I'm like, maybe Whale Harbor to Long Key would be the majority of my fishing, but the exact same stuff is going on in the Marathon channels, Pocket Cut, uh, down south at Bahia Honda, further north than I fish. Um, so, I think a lot of the stuff we talk about will apply to all those areas. More than it will, here's a GPS number, go fish this spot.
0: And then how deep are these channels that you're talking about in the keys like what what is the channel Some of,
2: uh, i know bahia honda is the deepest and it's i think it's got 40 feet of water in a lot of it most of the ones i'm fishing here in the almarada area are 15 feet would be an average depth when they go under the bridge um and the deep water in most of the areas 10 to 15 feet would be the the deep part of the channel some places down to twenty, and we're doing, but we're doing a lot of the fishing on kind of the shoulders of the channel. So I might not necessarily have my boat positioned in twenty feet of water, but a twenty foot deep channel, fifteen foot deep channel, ten foot deep channel, it's um, about right.
0: And I don't know much about that area. So outside the channel, where it's ten, fifteen, twenty foot, does it rise up to two feet, three feet? I guess that's all kind of variance too. Uh,
2: yeah, yes, it rises up to three feet, two feet, and often, uh, you know less than one foot because we're surrounded by all these flats but they're kind of what create the channels Um, so uh, the the channels will be very very evident on a sunny day they're they're pretty evident on a cloudy day but you can see them they're blue pretty water in the middle of you know brown and white water that is seagrass and sand up in your four three two one foot depths so they're, they're pretty apparent
0: all right. So, how do we pattern this fish, or how do you pattern these fish? How do we, how do we locate fish beyond, you know, targeting channels?
2: Um. So we're looking tarpon or fish of the current for sure, particularly where we're pursuing them in the channels. Um. You can think of the channels like a river if you happen to be somebody who fishes rivers. Uh. For. Most of your audience, you can think of it like, uh, I mean, they're like the inlets up there, but you know, more like the creeks and the marshes. And you can think of the tarpon a lot like a giant speckled trout. Um, He's gonna hang in similar areas uh, in relation to the current that a trout would up there. So if you've got a, you know, a hard bend in a channel and a little current seam or rip extends into that bend, uh, the tarpon's kind of gonna be sitting in the same place a trout might be. And those those things form off, uh, you know, a point, Uh, A kink in a channel, places where two channels come together, a bunch of channels come together. Anything that creates any kind of rip or current seam has some potential to hold tarpon uh, in the same way that it would holding trout up
0: there. So is there, do you experience tides, anything like you remember here in North Carolina?
2: Yeah, yeah, we're on a, uh, I believe it's called a semi-diurnal tide, just like North Carolina, where we get two highs, two lows a day. Um, we don't have the uh, the height of tide change there. we got about two feet of water exchange here, um, so it's not going up and down four or five feet like it often is up there, but we, we have screeching current. Uh, a lot of water is moving back and forth, so we've got tons of water moving under those bridges, moving through those channels, and uh, kind of how you play that current has a lot to do uh, with where you are. current has to do with the fish being there. And, you know, higher current is going to have you fish in different places than you would be on weaker currents. Essentially, you're looking for a tighter funnel on a weaker current because it's going to make more current and when a channel or whatever broadens out your current slacks off and you can exploit those things. Your average current is much higher on a big moon period or something like that. Or, you know, You know, you're in between moons and you have a really weak current. You can hit one of those uh, areas that focuses it more. That may be a little. And so if
0: I'm if I no, man, I follow all that. And if I'm thinking about your trout analogy, which I like, and when I think about trout and current, I think, man, when that tide isn't moving, when I don't have moving water, typically, I mean, anything can happen when you're fishing. But typically it seems like the trout aren't biting unless the move or biting well unless the water's moving. Is that the same scenario down there with tarpon?
2: Very much the normal situation. Um, They're biting, you know, we're seeing more slack tide biting in the last couple years than we used to, probably because more people are out there fishing at slack tide and there's a lot of bait in the water. Uh, But still, it's very much not your prime window, you know. Yes, slack tide, not nearly so good as tide moving. Oftentimes in a slack tide, I would be moving around, figuring out where I want to be once that tide starts moving again maybe looking for fish uh, or water so clear, a lot of times you literally can just drive around and look for fish uh, or just looking for something I like for when that tide changes, starts going from the other direction.
0: Is there uh, anything else you're able to share with us about locating tarpon beyond, you know, current rips, seams, you know, areas, you know, in the channel, on the shoulder of the channel, any other variables that, you know, factor into the Max Gaspany formula of where to look? Sure,
2: Um, I guess uh, if I had a big satellite chart of a channel, it would be easy to point stuff out. I did not prepare to that degree, so I don't. Um, You know, structure, the bridges for sure. Um, Something my uncle, who was a tarpon guide here for 50 years told me when I was getting started is when in doubt, go to a bridge. There are always some fish around the bridges. Other structure like that, you know, I got some places where there's some, you know, uh, big markers and stuff in the water that create current rips. When in doubt, go to a bridge is very strong. Uh, Intersection of channels, very very strong, and you're really not going to know what's going to be. You know, there might be on one point where two channels intersect, and then on the one a half mile down on the next tide. So it's 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 hard to be super specific, but uh, intersections are really prime places to look. I would say intersections and bridges. If you're if you're just going at it, you know, semi-blind focus on places where channels come together and focus on bridges and you are going to find tarpon the vast majority of the time.
0: Well, man, what about bait, baits and techniques now that I'm in a spot where I have at least reasonable confidence, what, wh- how can you advise us in that area?
2: All right. Um, I would say our springtime, our primary bait hundred percent is going to be the mullet and, uh, unlike potentially your uh, your photo guest earlier, we really do use foot log mullets. Um, might not be the ideal size. I might rather have one that's like eight, nine inches, but we're using full size mullet, eight to 12 inches. Uh, we are using them alive a lot of the time. Uh, we often catch fish with baits on the bottom too. So half a mullet on the bottom. Uh, lots of other baits work. We catch plenty of fish on pinfish. plenty of fish on crabs. 80, 90% of my springtime fish come on mullet uh, and I've I would say most situations mullet are your best bet if you can get. That said, our mullet here are kind of ninjas. Uh we it's a completely different fish than it is in North Carolina when you're trying to catch it with a cast net. You can see them everywhere. Uh you throw a net on them and they vanish before the net can land or sink. Um it's hard to explain how to get better at mullet fishing. But what I can explain is that there are three guys down here who sell mullet and do a pretty tidy business in the springtime. But there's a reason uh, it's often well worth it to give them 40 bucks for a dozen mullet uh, instead of driving around for four hours cursing at bait fish (laughs) that are very difficult to catch. So I'd say we're primarily focused on mullet. Occasionally you'll fish uh, a pinfish. Occasionally you'll fish a crab. Ladyfish are another really good bait. They're good cut. They're good alive. Um, Most fishing's happening with mullet, though. Uh, Technique-wise, anchoring versus drifting would be the two things, your your two real differences in technique if you're bait fishing for them. Um, Anchoring is much easier. Uh, Prefer to anchor if conditions will let you do it. Uh, Drifting done well will get more bites, but it's it's very easy to get tangles. Uh, it's it's difficult to stay in a very narrow channel for any length of time if the wind's blowing to make it drift. So drifting, definitely more challenging. But low wind, uh, you know fish are there, but they don't seem to be biting. You could try to drift through them. Sometimes it works.
0: So I guess my follow-up would be drifting how many lines out, anchored up how many lines out?
2: Uh, a lot of guys would say two and two. I'm uh, drifting two is plenty. Uh, you you can get yourself some real problems trying to fish three, four lines drifting. Uh, when I'm uh, anchored up, I like to fish three. And I typically, it's two and one. I'm either gonna fish two bottom rods and a top rod or two top rods and a bottom rod. Um, top rods, I got a couple rigged up. I don't know how well they'll show. Bottom rod is very simple. You'd call it a Carolina rig. Uh, this one's got two weights on it. We actually use two egg weights instead of a two ounce weight for a reason. Uh, but if the current was light, I'd just be using one. It's essentially a Carolina rig with a six foot leader. Weights are sliding on about a 20 foot wind on a leader. Um, so I might have two of these down if it was cold. Uh, if there was some situation where the fish didn't seem too happy, I think they're going to be a lot more likely to eat a bait on the bottom. Under most situations, you know, during our spring season, I'm gonna have two live mullets up on the top and one down on the bottom, um, because I think that even the smell of that bait on the bottom, you certainly get bites on it, even when it's not getting bites. I think the smell being out there helps your top baits get bites.
0: Okay, I follow that, man, that makes sense. And so you're anchored up and you're putting out your spread, I guess we'll talk about anchoring a little bit more, and then it's just a waiting game, you know is is that where what we're talking about similar to what we've done up here in north carolina yeah
2: yeah it's uh it can be a whole lot like fishing for big red drum in the sounds or the inlets in north carolina you know throw some baits out and wait for them uh ideally they don't roll every day but ideally i'm going to see fish rolling around where i want to put them out if they're not rolling. Hopefully I'm going to at least have some confidence they're there. It's hard for me to just go somewhere, put them out, not see fish, not have known that somebody caught them there yesterday, that I caught them there yesterday, or that, you know, maybe that has been good within the past week and put them out. If you're in a channel in island rod in the spring, they're probably tarpon within a hundred yards of you just about anywhere. So I'd say if you're just, if you, if you are kind of going in blind again, get near an intersection of a channel Get uh, just up current or down current of a bridge. And yeah, put them out, wait, and very much watch while you're waiting. You may see fish roll in a consistent spot somewhere off of you. I wouldn't go running off because they do it once or twice. But if you see them rolling consistently somewhere for 10 minutes, hustle over there and get set up in front of them. Um, so, I, if, and if I was going in blind, I might give it half an hour at most if I haven't gotten a bite in half an hour from a tarpon uh, I'm probably going to move on or haven't seen tarpon activity um, it's nice to be confident in where you're fishing and I do a lot of looking around uh, I may spend an hour poking my nose into different channels without putting a rod out on a charter uh, just because I, I like being confident where I'm fishing and as a uh, really good guide down here once put it to me, I'd rather fish for five minutes in the right spot than five hours in the wrong one. So I really like, I like having confidence in where I'm fishing. I would say, look, a, you know, look around for some fish. Uh, that is not a bad idea.
0: So, so when they're rolling, what are they doing? Like, I've, I've they're gulping air. That.
2: They are gulping air. Um, they have kind of a primitive lung system. They can certainly take oxygen out of that air. They don't need, uh, in most cases, to do so. Um, There are lakes in Africa they live in that are super low oxygen, and I think they get almost all their oxygen by rolling there. Uh, It's hard to say. They don't need that gulp of air under most situations. Um, I certainly think of them, when I see a lot of them rolling here, I think of them as happier and more apt to bite than I do when I know they're there and I'm not seeing them roll. And that might be a little opposite to north carolina where my thinking when i saw them out of, off an inlet in north carolina if they were rolling they were traveling uh, and it might be really tough to get them to bite here when they're kind of happy in the channels i like to see them roll uh, does that answer the question what are they doing i doubt it
0: now that gives me some insight though i mean that's something that's something to go on and then but you do see Tarpon down there, because I'm with you about them traveling and like they're booking it, or maybe even like semi-booking it, but i it seems like that up here doesn't equate to a bite. I mean, do you see the difference down there between tarpon rolling and tarpon full on traveling?
2: Definitely see them traveling and rolling in the uh well in the backcountry. Um, I don't think we're gonna talk a whole lot about get backcountry tarpon fishing in this episode, but it is something we do a fair amount of. Uh, a lot of times when the migration is coming, you might be out uh, somewhere way up in the Everglades and see a thousand fish kind of rolling on the surface. And you know, those fish are traveling. They're not really in a place where they're usually going to settle down. Um, But when I see them rolling in town, in our channels, in the springtime, I'm thinking those fish are fairly settled for the most part. I mean, they move around in the channels, you know, some fish are coming and some fish are going at any given time, but, I, I'm thinking those fish. You know, it's a good place to fish. Um, if there's fish rolling there, you know, maybe they're moving along, but fish are, are following that avenue. Fish are hanging out in that general area. I see it as a good sign.
0: Okay, man. Well, uh, I guess in our notes now, I says we're, we're going to assume that this is actually we're either dumb lucking or whatever. But we've hooked a we've hooked a tarpon. You have in your notes. All right, what do you do once you hook one?
2: Um, uh, probably clear the other rods. Uh, double hookups are a mess um, because they'll often head different directions, and these fish can absolutely spool you with three hundred yards of fifty or sixty-five pound braid. So I'd say clear the other rods if they're not really big ones. A double header is cool, but get your other rods up. Um, you whoever's biting it, of course, you know, get to the rod. Just hang on at the beginning, let him jump, let him do his thing. Keep your drag reasonably light. I probably fish him a little lighter than a lot of people do at the beginning. Um, and I don't really know what I would say my beginning drag setting is. It's not that. Uh But it's probably, it's not king macro light, but it's probably four or five pounds, which is really light compared to what it's gonna be by the time you land land. So he's, Typical fish is is jumping, running, going nuts. He may be doing that away from you. He may be doing it at you, in which case you need to be reeling like crazy until you get tight on him. He turns and starts to move away from you. Uh, but you leave that drag fairly light at the beginning. Let the fish get through whatever its initial show is. Within two, three minutes, he's going to be settled down, five for sure. Once he settles down, uh, you're typically going to follow him with the boat too. If you're anchored up, you're gonna follow him with the boat. He might not necessarily spool you, but your odds of getting that fish to the boat, getting it where you can check it out, get a really cool picture of it, are gonna increase if you get closer to that fish in the beginning. There's a lot that can go wrong when a tarpon's on the hook, and the further he is away from you, uh, you know, the more the more stuff there can be, the more things can happen to the line, etc. So you're gonna chase him. Um, Once he settles down, you know, you're going to try and keep following him, get more line on the reel. There are going to be a few more periods where he gets upset, probably jumps another time or two, settles down. I'm going to crank my angler's drag up a little bit after the initial period. And then we're going to start settling into a pretty typical fight. You know, they're leaning back on the rod, coming down, gaining line. And I'm not going to mess with the drag again until it seems like they hit a stalemate and it's pretty much dead or they're not really gaining anything. And then I'm going to tighten that drag a little bit more and that process could play out over 45 minutes with uh, where, you know, we we fight them for a little while until I feel like we've hit the wall again. Then I tighten the drag a little bit more, keep going. Another five minutes goes down. Just seems like we can't get that fish now within 30 feet of the boat before it was 40, tighten the drag a little bit more you might go through that for a long time. It's insane how long a tarpon that doesn't want to give up can pull for. But in the end, sometimes I have drag that people, you know, people will call it tight for bluefins. fins. Uh, you can literally like wrap braid around your hand and it will cut through your hand before you would be able to pull any off the spool on some fish. And some fish really, you know, flip out, go nuts at the beginning, jump like crazy and kind of beat themselves up. And you catch them in 10 minutes. But I'd say average is probably, you got a 25, 30 minute fight on an average fish, and they can go well longer. Um, throughout that time, you know, you just want to keep your line tight. Fish will dart at you very much, so you prank like crazy if they dart at you, just like a, a Wahoo might or something like that. Keep your line tight, and, and you know, you need to apply a lot of pressure. Um, something that can shorten the fight a lot is uh, pulling to the sides, but you need to pull to the side the fish is going away from, or or as my uncle puts it, pull towards the fish's tail instead of the the fish's head. Pulling towards the head, you will do what we call walking the dog. And if you walk the dog, the tarpon just kind of locks himself 90 degrees to you. He's got his mouth open, he's getting good oxygen. You're just pulling on him and dragging him through the water sideways. He doesn't have to work much to just keep his angle up, keep water flowing over his gills, keep breathing hard. If you're pulling to his other side, Every time he kicks his tail, it throws him off balance a little bit, and it's much tougher for him to keep going in any one direction, uh, and it seems like it helps break their spirit a little bit in addition to you know, beating them up physically, I would say. So that's, that's a big tip. Um, when the fight settles down and you're really getting to the point where you're pulling on the fish, you've been tightening the drag and everything... Try and pull on him sideways to your side and to the side his tail is on if the fish is visible. It can, can be hard to know which side to pull to if you can't see it. So I'd say don't worry about it. Keep your rod up when you can't see it. But when you can see the fish, angle your rod towards the side of the tail is on. And that will help shorten your fights a lot. Um, bowing when they jump, that's a huge topic. Uh, most people, you know, have heard or believe, you know, like bow to the tarpon when they jump. I would say I'm not huge on hurling the rod at the fish when they jump. Some people really get into it. I think throwing too much slack out there can cause other problems like the tarpon landing on the line. Uh, you certainly also, you don't want to do the opposite. You do not want to rip back on him when he's in the air. Uh, I I tell my anguish just go with the fish with the rod when he's in the air. So just don't, don't rip back on him. Essentially, if the fish is, you don't want him ripping hard against the the rod tip when he's up in the air. So don't don't go, you know, don't pull back away from him. But I don't throw the rod at him either. I just when they jump, just kind of let you know, let the pressure up just a little. Uh, I'm sure there's more to talk about about fighting them, but uh, steer me back on track. Got anything? Any more specific questions?
0: Uh, no, man. I thought that was very detailed. I thought you did a great job with that. Um, one of the th- so I was like, as you're talking, I'm sitting here picturing myself. I'm like, all right, like, let me imagine this. So, so we get a bite, and I move up to the front of the boat with the rod, and you're going to start following the fish, basically. To go back to the bite, do you see most of the bites, or is it a matter of just all of a sudden you know, the fish jumps out of the water, the rod goes down? Uh,
2: that's a great question, I'm glad you asked because uh, a tarpon bite on a live mullet on the surface is visually one of the greatest bites in fishing. Um, there's a million different ways it can take shape, but generally your mullet's been sitting there. it's just out at the end of your leader. Mullets stay on top. They, they don't go down. They know there's danger down low, so they stay on top. Your mullet's been behind the boat. It'll angle to the sides a little bit, back and forth. And all of a sudden, a lot of people think, oh, I'm getting a bite because the rod tip starts going. That's your mullet sees a tarpon and he's freaking out, starts really darting back and forth a lot more, often jumping out of the water, going nuts. He can bend a rod like this, just, just your bait mullet will have your rod tip doing that sometimes when he's going nuts. And actually I like a, a rod with a soft tip, which is another, another thing to mention. But then a lot of times you get what we call cheap shots where the tarpon is blowing up around the mullet, even sometimes grabbing the mullet, but not really closing his mouth or not you know, pulling tight, getting hooked. Uh, But you will see the Tarpon up on the surface for seconds, uh, you know, going nuts, trying to get that mullet often. Sometimes they come out of nowhere and just explode on it. And I'd say you actually have probably a better hookup ratio on the bites where they come out of nowhere. But uh, if you are watching your mullet, you're going to see something happen. It may just be a huge explosion and the rod's bent. More typically, there's a little drama that plays out where the mullet panics. Tarpon is sloshing around, trying to eat him, getting more pissed off each time it misses, It's a good show. Uh,
0: Man, that sounds like visual pleasure.
2: It's it's a great show. And then on the, uh, on the bottom rods, if you're watching the rod tips, typically you'll see like one donk in the rod tip and then a real slow load up. That's what I really think of as a classic tarpon But you get all kinds of bycatch on the bottom rods. Some of it's cool. Uh, some of it's stingrays and nurse sharks, which are nothing against stingrays and nurse sharks. But, uh, the classic tarpon bite looks like that. They will often uh, eat them and come at you, especially on a weak tide. And in that situation, you may actually just see absolutely nothing, but a tarpon comes flying out of the water near the boat. If you were around the keys in the clear water, if a tarpon comes flying out of the water, nine times out of 10, there's a hook in his mouth, whether you know it or not. So if you see a tarpon come flying out of the water uh, by the boat, just grab a rod and start reeling. <laughs> I mean, You can think about which one most might be most likely to be on but by the time you do that uh he's probably not going to be there so if you see one jump next to the boat he's probably got one of your hooks in his mouth whether you know it or not
0: all right so i'm on your boat i've had that visual pleasure i have fought the fish i've slowly cranked up the drag per your instructions the fish is to the boat how do you orchestrate the memory fish photo
2: gotcha this is what uh you know question a lot of people have we do not pull big tarpon out of the water. I think the ruling uh, Florida law, FWC regulation, is you are allowed to pull one out of the water up to 40 inches for a picture. So I think up to citation size redfish. Um, that's maybe a 25-30 pounder at most. Bigger than that, we're not pulling them out of the water. I'm not pulling their heads out of the water. Some some people do. I don't think it looks nearly as cool even to have the head out of the water, tarpon choking shot, as it does to get him kind of by the jaw, in the water, by the boat, all his fins flared out, kind of roll him on his side, you get all the silver scales. I think that's a much better shot. So that's what we're doing with the fish. Our ultimate goal is the jaw grab, I would say, or a leader hold uh, above the jaw. The jaw will certainly scrape you up um, if you're not wearing a glove. uh, And it can be really tough to keep a hold on depending on how active the fish still is. So sometimes a leader grab, doesn't always get to that point, you know. It's uh, we consider it a uh, like a technical catch as soon as we get the leader um, in the rod tip or somebody on the boat grabs it. You have a whole lot of fish where you get that and they end up fraying off, scraping through the uh, scraping through your leaders uh, or hooks pull at the end after you've been pulling on the fish for a long time. That happens a lot. I consider it you know pretty full catch as long as I had the leader in my hand and was pulling on the, the people's fish. Um, it's a, it's a technical catch for sure. If you get the leader in the rod tip, but if we get to the point where I'm like tight to the fish on the leader with my hand, I, I consider that a real catch because I could have stuck a gaff in it. If it was something we were planning on killing. Uh, and then the yeah ultimate goal would be get, get your hand in his mouth or get holding the leader a couple, a foot or so above him, get him rolled over by the side of the boat, get some cool pictures.
0: Well, man, uh, so my, my vision for this travel series podcast was a little bit of how to a little bit of, getting people who are watching listen to picture themselves in the boat with you experiencing this um i got some logistical questions as far as like how to get there where to stay but before i go to that man uh i want to hear a little bit about the difference between juvenile tarpon and the bigger tarpon i think i think you said there's some interest there
2: yeah most definitely so uh the the juvenile tarpon are super cool uh I find them more charming even than the big ones. Uh, I don't know why, but they're really neat. They can also be as or more frustrating than the big ones to get to bite. There's a lot of places where to find juvenile tarpon. They're in every residential canal in the Keys. Um, I think they're probably in every residential canal close to South Florida. They're even in freshwater canals on the mainland. Uh, Your mangrove islands in the backcountry, Generally, most of them kind of have a moat around them of deeper water. The current wallows out the area around the island. Somewhere around almost every island, there are going to be a few baby tarpon. A lot of them hold bigger schools, Um, and you can sight fish those fish a lot. Uh, You can throw uh, a live shrimp can work pretty well for them if there's no snappers there to get in their way. If there's snappers there, a shrimp is hopeless. A pilchard, um, any kind of fly that doesn't sink real fast, uh, DOA shrimp or an artificial that doesn't sink real fast um the little ones are awesome they jump a lot more than the big ones you catch them on your light like your flounder rods even a even a 20 pounder is you know totally catchable on what you would think of as a trout or flounder rod up there uh and he's going to jump a whole lot um and they're small enough too that you know you can get a cool picture where you grab by the jaw. of course support his belly don't keep him out of the water very long but you can scoop him up for a picture um and yeah they just jump more that's probably the most charming thing about them they just go ballistic jumping
0: Well, man, so again, my vision here was like some people might want to go down there and try this themselves. Hopefully, you know, someone might just pick up the phone and say, this is something I want to experience. So logistically speaking, if I'm if I'm towing my boat, if I'm towing my boat, I'm coming down 95. I'm hitting the Keys and making a right turn. But what if I'm what if I'm traveling on vacation, not bringing a boat? How do you how do you recommend people the most easiest way, cost effective way to to get to Almorada to get to the Keys if they're not driving? The whole
2: uh, not driving, you were going to fly into either Miami, Fort Lauderdale, or Key West, um, unless you are bringing your own plane, in which case I think Marathon's an option. If you are bringing your own plane, you're a client that I would like to talk to. Uh, <laughs> but you're going to fly to Miami or Fort Lauderdale, most likely, maybe Key West. We're 80 miles from Key West, 80 miles from Miami. 105 from fort lauderdale something like that um often it's cheaper to fly into fort lauderdale and the fort lauderdale airport's a little easier to negotiate than miami so that's why people make that choice but i'm guessing you're going to rent a car um whatever transportation you're going to get you're just going to go 80 or 100 miles south uh from the mainland or 80 miles north from key west and here you are in Alamorada. um plenty of plenty of great places to stay Bud and mary's marina where i fish out of We've got like, uh, some cool houseboats that are for rent as lodging options, motel rooms, a couple houses on the property, um, need to be at the marina. It's a good place to stay, uh, kind of more low key fishing, fishing related motel would be like Bluefin Inn or Key Lantern something like that. Uh, if you're looking for a more, you know, bringing family or a more uh, luxurious island ride experience, Chica Lodge is like the classic stay here and fish. Hotel on Isle Murata, the Amara k is also nice. The Islander is also really nice. Those are all on our island. There's a ton of hotel options here, um, but those are just threw throughout there pretty quick and all right on our island with Bud and Marys.
0: One of your favorite places to grab breakfast?
2: Breakfast. Uh, green Turtle. Go to the Green Turtle.
0: For sure. One of your favorite places for dinner, especially if I mean they're not cooking tarpon, but those restaurants that like to cook what you catch.
2: Uh, Lazy Days right next to the uh, Bud and Mary's does a great job. The Shrimp Shack in the middle of the island does a great job. Um, but every restaurant here will do it. I really, actually really like a Cuban place called Habano's. It's a little bit further south. They get, you know, a little Cuban touch to it. But I'm not sure there's a restaurant in town that won't cook your catch. Very, very common. And that's probably going to be with us. Mangrove snappers, you know, often we'll go catch a tarpon and then go pick up 5, 10 mangrove snappers for the people to take to a restaurant or, or pick up the snappers and then go catch a tarpon. Um, so yeah, lots and lots of cook to catch going on here. Something that is so ubiquitous here, you don't think about it not being a thing up there, but it is a really cool thing that pretty much all the restaurants do here.
0: If I decide to drag my boat down there, complicated to find a place to launch it?
2: (laughs) Yeah, um, we always, we got some unimproved ramps we use here, uh, like the guides and stuff use that are pretty usable, but not, uh, they're, they're not, uh, they don't look as usable as they are. They've been closed uh, for a while now. I think you're probably mostly gonna pay places. Founders Park, is the uh, town of Alamorada operates a park. It's got a great boat ramp at it. Uh, I'm not sure what it costs if you're a non-resident. But if you're a non-resident, there's a small fee. Um, Angler House and Postcard Inn Marinas both have pay ramps and they're right here in Alamorada. Uh, I think those are probably your best options. Uh, until they open us a better public boat ramp, which hopefully is happening sometime soon.
0: My last logistical question, uh, and I know the answer to this, so I'm just setting you up to give a plug. Um, local tackle shop as a resource.
2: Uh, the tackle center um, here in Alamorado, they're great people, Donny Lang. Uh, they have all the stuff you need. It's one of those cool shops where, you know, their, their selection isn't massive. If you want something weird to go fish for walleyes or you want something that guys use for king mackerel in pensacola but the stuff we use here they've got every bit of it and they do a real good job so go to tackle center
0: and then my last question max is you know we talked about springtime tarpon in the keys going into june what are you doing in the summer what are you doing in the fall
2: uh redfish and snook are huge i swore i'd never call them redfish when i moved here from north carolina but they, they turned me quickly uh redfish and snook are like main backcountry targets we have triple tail um i'm doing a lot of fishing for bonefish and permit in summer and fall uh, as well once you get to winter the the snook fishing and redfishing can get really really good on our wintertime cold fronts um variety of snappers and groupers and stuff we target once in a while too but i'd say like my main targets um Snook and redfish in the backcountry. Trout, of course, do. We got plenty of trout back there. Snook, redfish, trout in the backcountry. Some baby tarpons, big tarpons closer to the Keys Islands. Bonefish and permit closer to the Keys Islands, and then uh, variety of your snapper and grouper species on like close local coral patches. Even you know some structure in our channels we can hold keeper groupers and really nice snappers. That kind of thing. Max so, Gatsby, I think tough.
0: that concludes. I think this concludes our first podcast together, man. I've, enjo- I've enjoyed it as I expected I would. And uh, and I apologize that I haven't come down to visit you yet. But I, I think 2022 is my year. I mean, I really think I sure
2: so. hope so. I was, I was trying to come up with a, a question that wasn't too derogatory about why you hadn't come to see me yet. It, <laughs> I just didn't come up with anything funny. That was the only problem. Derogatory <laughs> would have been okay. It just wasn't funny
0: and deserve it i mean deserve it i would i would be offended if i were you
2: it's only mild it's a mild bruise fair Eddie that's fair Eddie
0: <laughs> that's it 2022 is my year i'll show him uh, i'll show go. turbo
2: you've always been uh, susceptible to peer pressure
0: good one how about this how about this bring back hey man when you come up and visit make sure you're safe make good decisions and have good stories to tell
2: i always have good stories to tell
0: (laughs) max thank you so much
2: oh thank you gary it's been a pleasure look forward to doing it again
0: all right man so billy there's so much there if you can't come up with the billy's best takeaway then you are not the podcast partner i imagine you to be
1: well, Gary you know I'm more tech savvy but whatever I'll come up with a good takeaway um well you know I've been here in Puerto Rico for a while so I'm trying to catch tarpon so I think this whole episode was a good takeaway but I uh, really like the hookup like what do you do once to you hook it up once you hook up a tarpon you know when they jump in the air when they're doing all the things they do uh, that was a big takeaway and then also the rolling thing I didn't know I didn't know what that was all about I see tarpon you know here as we're at the time we're recording this where I live and I you go out and you see tarpon rolling all over the place, so it's uh, it's good to know that I spend a lot of time looking in the water when I go fishing, and so does Max, and he's doing it. Th- I mean, I would you say 300 and something days a year, like 300 days a year, or something. 250, crazy? yeah, like man. 250, yeah. So I'm like, all right, cool, man. If it's uh, I'd rather, and I like that one thing he said, like I'd rather, you know, spend five minutes fishing in the right spot than five hours fishing in the wrong spot. So, uh. I'll well, take that I don't
0: think you should good. have paid more attention to what to do to get a bite, not pay all your attention to what to do, <laughs> what to do after you get a bite. I mean, I think I think we've got well, a, a, an immediate hurdle to get over before we're worried about <laughs> how, how hard you bow to the fish.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I did hear some live bait stuff. I never fish with live baits. So I'm like, however, when he said, I can't remember what the price was for a dozen, like 40 bucks a dozen. 40 I was like,
0: Get a couple damn. dozen. Go on out and see what you can do right? A couple dozen.
1: <laughs> I'm going to need another sponsor. I need a mullet sponsor for the show. <laughs>
0: instead Just, instead of buy me a coffee, d- it's buy me a mullet. <laughs>
1: buy me a mullet. But Gary, man, it's a great episode. Uh, thanks for having Max on, man. It was a good, g- great. I loved it. I love talking about tarpon. So uh, it's definitely a trophy fish that I hope to figure out how to hook and then land and get a nice picture with. So appreciate you bringing yeah, it man. on.
0: All right. Yeah, tight you. show and compliments of Marine Warehouse Center, man. Those guys continue to just impress. Love having them on for the whole year, 2022, man. Service, parts, sales, as we say. As we, I hope we're doing a good job of branding them. I hope we've made that clear. That man, yeah. they are not just selling to the fishing and boating community, but they want to be a part of the fishing fishing and boating community. They want to add to it. They want to, you know, yeah. they want to build it up, man. They're vested.
1: Yeah, man, they are. And also, just a reminder, they ship all over the world. So if you're curious about something they have, be sure to visit their website, order from them, and see if they can ship it to you. And then also, uh, last shout-out here to Bland Landscaping Co. If you want a new career, a career, not just a job, but a career outdoors, wake up early, get out there, get the job done, go home. Uh, They really value people, family, friends, and have a good time. And they uh, listen to the podcast, big fans of it. So we appreciate Kurt and his team over there at bland so go to blandlandscaping.com careers and get you a new career this year new year new career let's go gary right on it's great man we'll see you in the next episode you got it Fish